0: Hi, I'm Ebony Monet and I'm Rick Schwartz. Welcome to Amazing Wildlife where we explore unique stories of wildlife from around the world and uncover fascinating animal facts. This podcast is a production of iHeartRadio and San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, an international nonprofit conservation organization behind the San Diego Zoo and Safari Park.
1: Brown bears, also known as grizzly bears, can stand on two legs, walk on the soles of their feet, and pick up things with their paws. Today, we're talking about the highly adaptable species. Rick, I'm excited about this episode. If I were to take a quiz about the animals we've discussed so far, I would have gotten the best score on my knowledge of the brown bear But there's still so much that I didn't know and so many things that surprised me. For instance, it was once thought that there were 86 different kinds of brown bears in North America. But today, scientists agree there's only one. That's a big difference. Rick, how did it come to be that it went from scientists thinking that there were possibly 86 to narrowing it down to one?
0: Well, Ebony, while it does make sense that we would assume bears of the same species would all look similar, everything from size and coloring, even what they eat, but when it comes to the brown bear or grizzly bear, it really depends on location. They can range from light, sandy, brownish blonde to almost blackish, dark brown in colorations. And when it comes to size, well, that's quite a range too, anywhere from 250 pounds to over 1,500 pounds again, depending upon location, if they're male or female and what season it is. We see differences like this in many species that have adapted to live in specific ecosystems across the ranges that they inhabit. And in some cases, these differences are significant enough to create genetic variations. And that can sometimes mean they become subspecies, not just a slight variation or difference of the same animal. In the case of the brown bear, some scientists think breaking them into several different subspecies would be more appropriate where others say the slight physical variations aren't enough to do that. In general, it's agreed that the brown bear that resides on the Kodiak archipelago, known as the Kodiak brown bears or Alaskan brown bears, are definitely a unique subspecies of brown bear. And all other brown bears or grizzly bears are a single subspecies instead of many different subspecies.
1: Rick, since brown bears can vary in color, as you mentioned, and size and in habitat, are there any telltale signs that a bear is a brown bear and not just another species
0: um, such as a black bear. You're right, Ebony. Since color variations happen a lot with brown bears and some can look black in color, we can usually make sure that we're distinguishing the true brown bear by their large hump of muscle on top of their shoulders. Of course, younger bears may not have developed their muscular hump yet, so sometimes it can be hard to say for certain if it's a brown bear or a black bear. So unless you study bears and can really pick up on some of the subtle differences that you might see in the body shape or head structure, it can be hard to tell. Rick,
1: I hear people referring to the bears as grizzly bears and as brown bears, almost using the words interchangeably. Is it true that the grizzly bears are brown bears, but not all brown bears are grizzly bears, if that makes any
0: sense? (laughs) Yes, Ebony. The old conundrum of the name game when it comes to wildlife. Now, it is common that we see a single species with different common names due to being found across many different regions. Therefore, the humans that live in those regions give them different names. A great example of this is the puma, mountain lion, and cougar. All the same species of cat, but because different cultures refer to them with different common names, they have all these different names now when it comes to the grizzly bear versus brown bear conundrum in north america the common name of brown bear is usually saved for those in coastal areas with access to marine life and other coastal resources as part of their food source whereas the bears that are considered grizzly bears usually live inland and do not have access to coastal or marine food resources and at this time many consider the grizzly bear a subspecies of the brown bear much like the kodiak bear is a subspecies so yes Grizzly bears are a type of brown bear, but not all brown bears are grizzly bears.
1: Rick, the name grizzly really stands out. How did brown bears
0: in North America come to be referred to as grizzly bears? Well, this is actually kind of interesting, Ebony. There are two schools of thought on how the name grizzly bear came about. While many say the grizzly bear is named because its hair is grizzled, spelled G-R-I-Z-Z-L-E-D, Grizzled hair is defined as sort of that dark hair that has silvery or light-colored tips or sprinkles of gray. So, hence the name Grizzly Bear, that's kind of how the coat looks. While others say that it comes from the term grizzly, spelled G-R-I-S-L-Y. This means horrible, gruesome, or fear-inspiring. You know, personally, I'm team grizzly with disease, uh, because I don't think they're that horrible or gruesome. (laughs) I think it's just, you know, they got a cool hairstyle.
1: Where can you find brown
0: bears? Where are they found in nature? What's their living range? This one might be a surprise for some people, Ebony. Currently, brown bears can be found in parts of Europe, Asia, and Northwest North America. There was a time when they were abundant across the Northern Hemisphere, with populations found in the Middle East and the Atlas Mountain ranges of Northern Africa as well.
1: That seems like a really big range. Is that um, unusual? How did brown bears come to have such a large range?
0: Oh, they're very resourceful, Ebony, and have been able to adapt to a variety of ecosystems from coastal to mountain ranges, from very, very cold climates to even milder, almost swampy climates. This kind of adaptability has allowed them to successfully thrive in many areas. And scientists attribute the brown bear's distribution to their ancestors. At this time, fossil records indicate that the brown bear of today evolved from a now extinct species of cave bear that was native to Europe and Asia. With brown bears adapting so well to new environments, they took advantage of opportunities to move into areas where their cave bear ancestors did not inhabit, including taking advantage of the land bridge that once connected the northeastern corner of Asia to the northwestern corner of North America.
1: And Rick, as you mentioned, these brown bears occupy a wider range of habitats than any other bear. Their range overlaps with the American and Asiatic black bear and also slightly that of the the polar bear, how has um, this range, has it changed over time? Has it expanded or or shrunk
0: over time? Oh yeah, their range has changed quite a bit from being found in almost every part of the Northern hemisphere to much smaller pockets of population today. In the United States, the heaviest concentration of brown bears occurs in Alaska. Their range though, in the lower 48 states is now reduced to less than 1% of its historical scope. While in Europe, the mountains of Romania are considered to have the largest population of brown bears remaining. And in Asia, well, the largest population there is found in the eastern and northeastern portions of Russia.
1: Rick, what about the brown bears' population size? You've mentioned that their numbers are smaller today than they were in the past. What's been the, the pattern over time?
0: Well, although their population is significantly lower than their historic populations, most research shows us that their current population is held at a stable number for a while now. The biggest influence to brown bear populations is a growing human population and encroachment into the bear's habitat. If we can continue to coexist with the brown bear, we should be able to see their population stay stable in the future.
1: Rick, how does the location of the habitat that the bear is in How does that influence the brown bear's behavior when it comes to things
0: like food choices? Uh, Remember, Ebony, I said that brown bears are very resourceful. And the fact that they are omnivores, meaning that they eat meat and plant materials, allows for them to adapt to different environments and different seasons. For example, in the spring, they'll feed on grass and young shoots of different plants. In the summer, they'll eat berries and available fruit, while in the autumn, they'll consume nuts and other seed-based plant materials like acorns. Now, additionally, they'll eat reptiles, small mammals, insects, roots, honey when it's available. And depending upon location, brown bears also feed upon larger mammals such as moose and elk. While other populations of brown bear will take advantage of salmon migrating up rivers and streams.
1: Speaking of brown bears eating fish, besides images of of maybe brown bears gathered together in water catching fish, they seem like they're pretty solitary. Are Are they solitary or are they considered more social?
0: Well, it's true. I mean, brown bears will congregate when food sources are abundant, whether it's a whole bunch of berries on a hillside finally becoming ripe at the same time or, like you mentioned, when they go fishing because the fish are migrating. And although a dominance-based hierarchy involving usually aggression is established in those moments, they aren't really considered social like a pride of lions or a pack of wolves. Brown bears are considered solitary, with males and females only coming together for breeding purposes. And, of course, then the female brown bear raises the cubs. But once they mature, they're on their own. So technically, these brown bears are considered solitary.
1: You mentioned cubs. For how many years will a mama bear raise and protect her cub?
0: Well, depending upon the subspecies of brown bear, cubs will stay with their mother anywhere from two to three years. And in that time, the mother protects them from other brown bears and teaches them everything they need to know to head out on their own and be a brown bear. Now, it's worth noting the mother will not mate and does not have more cubs until her current offspring are well on their own.
1: Rick, brown bears serve a fascinating role in their ecosystem. Can you explain how they help keep everything balanced?
0: Well, you're right, Ebony. They do play a very important role in whatever ecosystem they're living in. For example, when bears eat fruit, well, their scat disperses the seed, which helps the habitat continue to grow. And when they dig for food like roots and tubers, plant bulbs and rodents, well, they stir up the soil and kind of help aerate things, releasing nitrogen into the ground and keeps that habitat healthy. In the spring, brown bears will even eat young calves of bison, elk, and moose, even other wildlife, which helps keep those populations in check. It is fair to say, being large omnivores, the brown bears serve many roles in keeping their ecosystem balanced.
1: Coming up, we'll talk to Holly O'Connor. She's a senior wildlife care specialist with the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. That's coming up right after this.
0: Now it's time for the San Diego Zoo Minute an opportunity for you to learn what's new at the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. A new study sheds light on global conservation efforts for rhinoceros. The study was conducted by Stellenbosch University, Animal Tuberculosis Research Group, South African National Parks Veterinary Wildlife Services, and San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. They tested samples from more than 400 rhinos in Kruger National Park. Results revealed the presence of a pathogen that causes bovine tuberculosis in an estimated 15% of black and white rhinos studied. The new study has had significant implications for the park's rhino conservation and management strategies, as it gives a better understanding of how domestic animals may or may not impact the health of wildlife in the area.
1: Did you know newborn brown bear cubs produce a loud, continuous humming sound while nursing? which is believed to help stimulate their mother's milk production. This noise is so loud, it can be heard from outside the den. Brown bears have been in the care of the San Diego Zoo for more than a century. Now we're gonna talk to senior wildlife care specialist, Holly O'Connor, about brown bears. Hi, Holly. Hi. So we're talking about brown bears today, but you work with more than the brown bear. You also work with other bears, including the sun bear. But what makes the brown bear special and and unique and stand out from other bear species?
2: So Ebony, they are just like every bear. It is adapted to survive in its own unique environment. And the brown bear in particular is uh, more of a terrestrial bear. It is the second largest of the bear species, there's eight bear species, and some of their unique adaptations to survive are extra long claws and an extra large muscle mass around their shoulders. Both of those features allow them to be expert diggers where they can dig up rodents and tubers and roots and also make their winter dens with those
1: powerful forelimbs. And you mentioned powerful grizzly bears weigh upwards of 700 pounds. And as you mentioned, they're muscular and they have these long claws. How do you care for an animal as large and powerful as a grizzly bear? So, yes,
2: it is true that um, brown bears are large and powerful animals. And certainly we need to keep those features in mind when we're caring for these amazing animals. But just as much as you would take care in caring for a grizzly bear, you would also take care in caring for a mouse. You need to know your species, you need to know its behavior, what it's capable of, and how it could potentially cause harm. So in the case of our bears, we use what's called protected contact. We never go in with our bears. We have a safe barrier between us and the animals. We can get up close to them, in this protected setting, but we would never cross that barrier where we could potentially get
1: injured. The San Diego Zoo is home to two grizzly bear brothers, Scout and Montana. How did Scout and Montana come to call the San Diego Zoo home?
2: So Scout and Montana, unfortunately, were the product of finding food in campsites in their native habitat in Yellowstone territory. Their mother bear was doing what a good mother bear does and teaching their cubs or her cubs where um, all of the food resources are in the environment. And because people had several times left food in their campsites and didn't follow the park rules, the bears were attracted to those food items and came into close contact with human areas. Fortunately, nobody got hurt, but the park system does have like a three-strike bear policy, And if a bear continues to do this behavior, they do need to relocate the animals. With the case of Scout in Montana, their mother bear had a few incidents. And now she was teaching two more bears that they could find food in camps. So the entire family did have to leave Yellowstone. And we received Scout in Montana as rescue cubs um, when they were 10 months old. And their mama went to another facility.
1: Wow, 10 months old. Can you talk about the type of bond that develops after all that time and just how well you get to know the animal um, as a wildlife care specialist? Specifically for Scout in Montana, do they have like detectable personalities?
2: Absolutely. Um, just like any creature, they're unique to their species and unique from each other. Scout and Montana, I've had the pleasure of working with them since they did come to us at 10 months of age. So 15 years we've worked together. And I just tell you like Scout is a little bit more of the little brother. He seems to rely on Montana a bit for protection and for reassurance. And Montana does act a little bit like the big brother protecting him. I'd even heard a story from one of the people that had rescued the two cubs. They were actually captured in a trap to be able to be removed out of Yellowstone. And Scout, unfortunately, he escaped the trap and he got injured, we believe, in the process. He injured his jaw, but the staff were able to recapture him, thankfully. And when they were in the facility being held, Montana did kind of barricade himself around Scout and act as a protector towards him. So that started with them early on and now they're adults and they're, they have their own requests and needs and um, Scout really, really, really likes food. And Montana, of course, loves food too, but he's a little bit more seasonal than Scout in that he kind of takes to the seasons He gets sleepier sooner than Scout does and is a little bit
1: more relaxed about things. So speaking of that, What might an observant wildlife care specialist learn from just watching Scout in Montana and how they interact and what cues might they be able to pick up on? Can you tell, for instance, if one is having a bad day? Oh, definitely.
2: Um, They are very expressive in many, many ways. And as a wildlife care specialist, it is absolutely my job to pay attention to the bears and pick up on the cues that they give us on their needs and their wants so that they can have a healthy life, um, so that we can provide for them stimulation, so that they can elicit their own natural bear behaviors. So we try to, um, A, look at their natural history and understand what do these bears do in the wild at different times of the year, and then we try to provide experiences that mimic those, those events. But by the same token, we pick our cues up from the actual bears because they're going to dictate the types of things they're interested in, the types of foods and the types of activities.
1: So grizzly bears once roamed throughout the entire Western United States and south into Mexico. Unfortunately, they're no longer found in about 98% of their original habitat. What happened?
2: Humans, as they were exploring the country and moving west, they... We're competing for resources with the bears, and this is a big, powerful animal that can be very dangerous when it comes in close contact with humans. So as humans created roads and settlements and kind of pushed the bears out of those areas and or the bears were still there and people eradicated them. They didn't want to share the space with the bears and it would probably be dangerous if they tried. So the bears got pushed further and further into the wilderness, and that is why they are more secluded into an area where there still is plenty of room for them to roam
1: and gain resources. It's really about resources. So grizzly bears are federally listed as threatened. What can be done to improve their ability to coexist with humans?
2: Bears need a lot of space and they need to be left alone and allowed to find all of the resources they need to survive in their environment. Especially in a place like Yellowstone, where there's about six months of the year where there is no food for them. So they're going to need to have spring, summer, and fall to wander throughout their entire habitat, access the foods that are available at the different seasons, and when they're in their most nutritious state and consume as much of those food sources as they can, then they move on to the next source until they've gained enough weight so that they can go into their winter torpor, commonly called hibernation, and basically live off of those fat reserves. So when we disrupt their ability to find their resources and build up those fat reserves, it really impacts the bears and their abilities to survive. So we want to have protected land for them that's uninterrupted. It's not fragmented. If you build roads and you drill for oil in bear habitat, that's going to disrupt their ability to get their resources that they need to survive. Another thing that people need to be aware of, of course, when you're in bear country is following the park rules where you lock up your food. When you're hiking, you want to make noise so that you don't surprise the bears and then This is still true today, will probably always be true. Reduce, reuse, recycle. Anytime you can conserve natural resources, that helps bears because there's less drilling for oil, cutting down the trees. You're saving wood products. Plastic is made from oil. So if you conserve
1: your plastic, that benefits the bears as well. What would you say has been the best part about working with brown bears?
2: Bears in general are just amazing animals. And the brown bears, the grizzly bear scout in Montana, they teach me things every day. I enjoy them so much because they're very seasonal. Even in our mild California climate, they feel those seasons. And they want different things at different times of the year. And it's just so much fun to pick up on those cues and provide these things for them so that they can do their bear behaviors. And when bears do bear behaviors, people watch that, they can feel a connection to them, and hopefully have interest in, you know, protecting them.
1: We've been talking with Senior Wildlife Care Specialist Holly O'Connor. Thanks, Holly. Thank you, Ebony. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed learning about the brown bear, also known as the grizzly bear.
0: And Be sure to subscribe and tune in to next week's episode, in which we bring you the story of an animal that has the word sloth in its name, But it's not related to sloths, and it can outrun a human. I'm Ebony Monet. And I'm Rick Schwartz. Thanks for listening.
1: If you would like to find out more about San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance, please visit SDZWA.org. Amazing Wildlife is a production of iHeartRadio. Our producer is Nakia Swinton, and our executive producer is Marcy Depina. Our audio engineer and editor is Sierra Spring. For more shows from iHeartRadio, check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.